three, two, one. Justin Wren, ladies and gentlemen, come on. Hello, fella. <laughs> With the silky hair and the beautiful beard. Oh, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, my brother. How's things? Man, things are good. Things are really good. I mean, last night getting to go to the comedy store for the first time and seeing all those legends and just being in a legendary atmosphere. I mean, it was it was seriously an incredible time. It's a fun place, right? Yeah, I mean, and you had us rolling, uh, so it was, it was really fun. I got to see Brendan and Brian Callen first, and then you, and so it was just hilarious. Did you get to go to the upstairs room as well, or did you go to the two was downstairs Was that where you rooms? were? No, I was, I was in the, the belly room is upstairs. Okay. Um, Brendan and Brian were in the main room. I was and there. I was in the original room, which and was, that was the in the front room. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't get to go to the top. Uh, tomorrow, tonight I'll show you the top. Okay. It's, it's a bizarre little place. There's three comedy clubs in one place. Yeah. It was it was awesome. Yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah. Walking around, seeing all the history, seeing everyone get amped, and then being able to be that close to the comedians too is is pretty awesome. I mean, being able to meet them, say hi, and just uh, you're you're in arm's distance from them, so really unique. If anyone hasn't gone, I suggest going because it was awesome. Yeah, I think Chappelle has filmed his Netflix special, his next one. He did there in the belly room. In the belly room, yeah. I watched him work one of them out. I don't think he was filming then, but I'm not sure. It comes out soon, right? Does it? I think they, they weirdly announced that it comes out this month, I think. Whoa. I'll double check on that real quick, but I think so. That might be the case because it's so small. There's probably not a lot of camera angles. And I know he did a, he filmed a lot of shows. So maybe he just wants to just get one of them perfect and then throw it out there. But he had a lot of like really topical material, real real current material. Yeah. Was it uh was it smaller than the room that you were in last oh, night? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. Not, even, more not even half the size. Wow. So, yeah. Exactly. See that's 31st. incredible. December thirty first? Yeah. That's crazy. They don't have a video here, but this is Equanimity is what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was funny, man. He's he's. It was really funny, and then seeing him in that tiny little room, like there was seventy people in the room. Oh wow. Yeah, they did get more in there sometimes, but don't tell the fire department. <laughs> fucking shouldn't. Speaking of fire department. Oh man, it's crazy out here. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I seen that video you posted on your Instagram. Yeah. It seriously looks like Armageddon. Yeah, it's I mean, from it's Bar to, Barstool Sports. If anybody wants to go to their Instagram page, they somebody put up a video of uh, last night driving up the 405. Gosh. It's the craziest thing you'll ever see. It's like, the entire mountain. What's crazy is that's Bel Air. I mean, that's like a really ritzy area. Super expensive houses. And that fire is just raging towards them. It's right near the Getty Center. And what apparently what they're calling this is a dry hurricane. Wow. So I don't live in California and I'm not a homeowner yet, but does homeowner insurance cover all that or do you have to have extra like fire insurance? That's a very good question and I don't know the answer. Yeah, because my, my family was in Hurricane Katrina and because they, they had hurricane insurance, but they didn't have like wind insurance. And so what? the insurance companies Wait would say- the fuck yeah, a minute. Or, or flooding insurance or something like that. It was what? whatever you didn't have, you would get one and not the other. And so then whatever you didn't have, that's what the insurance company would claim. Well, you didn't have this and that's what you should have had. Oh and my so God. people were losing tons of money, their home, whole homes. My family lost a whole roof off their house. Ah, oh, these um, monsters. Yeah. And so that's what I'm wondering. Like, okay, you have a homeowner insurance, but do you have fire insurance? And are they going to cover that? You know, if those are, if that's Bel Air and yeah. that's million dollar homes, hopefully they have the right insurance. Well, I'm sure some people have fire insurance. I know it's a thing. Just like hurricane and flood insurance is also a thing, but do they have fire hurricane? It's a good insurance. question. Well, yeah, right. This is <laughs> a fire hurricane. It's not just a hurricane. Well, it's a. They're calling it a dry hurricane. I mean, there's oh, no wind 
or there's no water, but it's, it's hurricane gale force winds. Gale wow. force? I don't know if that's right. Hurricane force winds, technically. Not like, you know, In my hotel, Katrina, I mean, the wind was just ripping all last night. And I know that there's those fires out there. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, it's insane, man. Um, I, where I live, I was evacuated twice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, twice in the early 2000s where um, the fire got so close it was within a mile of my house. And, you know, when it hits and the wind goes, it can take over. Like, it can just run. They said that the fires that they were having in Northern California were going through an entire football field every six seconds. Oh, my gosh. That, that's mind-blowing. Fuck, man. <laughs> just wow. imagine watching that, watching fires just cut through a football field 100 yards every six seconds. Yeah, it's almost like those clouds when the storms are rolling. Yeah. You know, you're just watching those go by. A lot of people died in those Northern California fires, too. Oh, they yeah. just got stuck. There's nowhere to get out. And they apparently, like that whole Napa area is, have you ever been up there? No. Damn, before the fires. I don't know what it looks like right now, but it, God, it was beautiful. It's where they do all the wine making, yeah. you know? And um, we actually uh, went turkey hunting up there, me and Brian Callen. Oh, nice. Yeah, Steve Ranella took us up there, and we were up there, and we, we were like, God, this is so gorgeous. But it's like semi-rural, but then a big tourist vacation destination, too. It's like people come there for those wine-tasting things and everything. Apparently, a giant chunk of that part of the state just got lit up. Wow. And when you when you go turkey hunting, are you using a bow? Or are you using this a was shotgun? Shotguns. This was for the meat eater show. So do you have yeah. to like go for their their heads. head? Right. Yeah. So that's nuts. So because you can't hit their body, or it goes everywhere, right? Well, the then you have to pull pellets. out all the lead. Yeah. You know, which you, you like when people shoot smaller birds, like pheasants and things along those lines. You do shoot the mm. entire body. But with the turkey, you're basically sitting still, and you call them in. You're like bark, 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 and make this little. You get this little sound thing in your hand or you have one in your mouth yeah. you know and you make little turkey calls and the turkeys come in and just blast them in the head <laughs> <laughs> or or you shoot them in the body uh with a bow um i know uh my friend john dudley and a lot of those guys they hunt with bows and they, they shoot turkeys with a bow but mm. it's tricky because a turkey is a goddamn dinosaur and if you don't hit it in the right spot they'll just fly away with an arrow sticking out of them wow. like literally wow something that kills a deer like <laughs> go right through a turkey and the turkey's like bitch i'm out of here <laughs> Like you have to catch them in their vitals and their vitals are you literally oh, are shooting an arrow at a softball from, you know, 40 yards. Yeah. So you might not hit it. Well, man, seeing this new space is awesome. I mean, this is an incredible new studio and seeing that your targets are up there. You got what? 48, 46, 47 yards, 47 yeah, yards wow. indoors. Yeah. But when you come back, man, we'll have a full gym. You'll be able to work out and the whole deal. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Dude, after you watched the UFC and you saw Francis Ngannou, did you <sighs> see if you could make 205? <laughs> that's I think uh, a lot of people did. Oh a lot of gosh. people were like, I could make I could make 205. I think, <laughs> I think it's totally possible. I, I've always been against it, but now I'm thinking about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But he, man, he's he is a monster. He's terrifying. A monster to see how far he sent <laughs> Overeem's head yeah. was just backwards in that one photo. That's like an iconic. That's probably the the most iconic, at least in my mind, um, or epic heavyweight fighting MMA fighting photo um, that there is. I mean, with that I think head so too. knocked back that way, and I mean, it just looked like such a power. I mean, it was a powerful punch, but the timing of that shot was just incredible. You see that one where his head is just yeah. completely knocked back. Man, yeah. he's a scary, scary dude. I put that one on my Instagram feed too. That that picture seems like. 
the coming of the new king. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, he's got to beat Stipe Miocic, but if you want to, like, look at a picture, like, in history, when you come back and go, this is the moment where Ngannou arrived, and people realize, like, holy shit. Like, this guy is for real. He didn't just do that to any guy. He did that to Alistair motherfucking Overeem. Yeah, K1 kickboxing world champion. Yeah, strike force world champion. Yeah. Just a stud. Like elite fighter yeah number one heavyweight contender yeah well you you and brendan were talking about it last week on the show and yeah. uh hear you guys saying if he starches him and if he can yeah. if he can prove himself and it's like man he just did it the the best way possible and I mean, the way he did it it's like the whole world's noticing mm. like i saw it on cnn i saw it on all these different websites and they're just everyone's just raving like he could be the next big thing and i think that's going to put him on the map now that everybody knows and they have this highlight reel of his knockouts now yeah and so the the advertise a fight between him and stipe i think it's going to be gigantic yeah i think it's gonna be huge uh I, i've been able to talk with stipe's coach and there's a potential i was going to go out and help him uh, in this training camp so Hopefully that still happens. My schedule's kind of crazy, but hopefully I can get up there for a week or sneak up there. Um, yeah, I'm I'm happy for Stipe to get a big fight. Yeah, for you know? sure. And if he wins against Ngannou, I mean that is just gigantic. Yeah. That that would be absolutely phenomenal. If there's a guy that can do it. I think yeah, it's Stipe for sure. Well, he's the champ, and yeah. he's the champ for a reason. Yeah, definitely. But he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah. He's so big. <laughs> Got to weather that storm and put him up against the cage, wear him out, pummel. I mean, just, yeah. just get really heavy on him and uh, tire him out, take yeah. him into deep waters, put him on his back. We've got to remember Overeem did get him up against the cage. Yeah, that's Overeem true. Overeem lunged at him, clinched with him, got him up against the cage, but couldn't do a goddamn thing with yeah. him. Yeah, that's you know? true. I think a little difference is Stipe having that 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 all-American wrestling background, being able what? to keep him there a little bit this more. This is crazy. He's opening up as the betting favorite over the heavyweight champion, wow. Stipe Miocic. I mean, this is an amazing. I mean, I get it. I understand. But that is pretty incredible yeah. that he's the betting favorite. Yeah, I guess if you just look at his comment, that do MMA math or so. But uh, the uh, if you, the common opponent with them and Overeem and, you know, how they both performed against him. Uh, yeah. Well, Overeem did catch Stipe mm -hmm. and, and had him stunned and knocked him on his ass. And then Stipe came back and won. But, you know, I mean, he's going to be obviously super aware of how dangerous it is to connect with Ngannou. He's going to obviously try to stay on the outside. And uh, when he closes the distance, close the distance, get that clinch, get him up against the cage and figure out some way to either get that guy down or wear his legs out or do something. We yeah. don't know what happens when Ngano goes into the third, fourth, and fifth rounds. Right. If anybody can even physically take him there. Yeah. I do love how Stipe has that killer instinct, uh, oh, yeah. both against Overeem after getting hurt, uh, even Verdum after his leg mm -hmm. injury, being able Junior to come Dos back. Santos, and, I think. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, you're right. The Dos Santos and, uh, fight, yeah. He's, uh, Dos Santos right. had kicked his leg pretty hard and giant swelling on his leg. Yeah. yeah. Then to come back and just knock him out the way that he did was just beautiful. Yeah. This so is even the if he gets test. hurt, if he doesn't get put out and he's hurt, he can still he can still turn on that killer instinct and put him away. So yeah. it's going to be exciting. Like watching this fight, I'm I'm amped for it. This is one of the the big heavyweight fights recently that I'm just so stoked for. Yeah, that's the big one. I think it's probably the biggest heavyweight fight ever when you think yeah. about what Ngannou is. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's obviously been some giant fights like Brock Lesnar when he fought Cain Velasquez, Brock Lesnar when he fought Overeem. Those are huge fights, but I think that. Ngannou is something special, and if if Stipe could figure out how to turn him down, how to shut him down, and beat him, I mean, it will really cement his position as the baddest man on the planet. And if not, we got a new king. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really exciting. I, I was even thinking when you're seeing those last fights, uh, this one I'm as excited for as whenever Brock fought Shane Carwin. Yeah. You know, I was helping, me and Brennan both were helping Shane train for that fight. Um, and now I might be involved for a week or so um, helping Stipe get ready for this one, just being around that, seeing their preparations, what they're going to do. Um, even just being a training partner for that legendary fight would be pretty epic. Are you going to shave lightning bolts in your head to emulate Ngano? Um, I, I'm at least going to dye black uh, <laughs> <laughs> lightning bolts in my hair. Just be the reverse, the have vanilla you, gorilla version. <laughs> <laughs> have you trained with Stipe before? I haven't. I haven't. No? just talked with his coaches a bit. So they thought it would be a great idea, and I think it is too. So He's out there in Cleveland. I'm sure he, I mean, he's got some incredible um, team around him. And you're I mean, in Oklahoma City now, I'm right? Oklahoma City, right. yeah, with Lovato. With uh, Lovato. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And he's killing it out there, too. Oh, my gosh. Well, he's undefeated, 7-0. and um, Strangling and, people. Gosh. And knocking people out, too, yeah. which is crazy. Uh, he started boxing, or at least uh, kickboxing, before he ever started jiu-jitsu. Really? So as a kid, his, his father and him, I don't know if you know, but they're the first ever American uh, father-son Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts. And, um, man, but they have this background of just everything. That's awesome. Uh, since, like, you know, early 90s, just going and cross-training. Everywhere well, he's, they could. he's from that old school, like it goes like Hicks and Gracie, Salo Hibero, Shanji, and then, you know, he's in that group of those, t that style of jiu-jitsu is just smush style. Oh, those guys have just tremendous pressure, basics, and when I say basics, I mean like the hard, polished, tried and true techniques mm -hmm. and it's like there's not like a lot of fancy crazy new school stuff but it's just laser sharp and just smashing yeah. power and pressure Dude, such a big fan of that guy he, he's always talking about the pressure passing oh, and just yeah. melting into yeah. <laughs> into him being yep. a wet hot blanket on top of him just taking their air away yeah. making them give up and man honestly i've trained with guys like Carwin and Mir and Couture and Overeem and I've trained with some of the biggest heavyweights um, around and he is the only person and he fights at 185. He's the biggest 185er I've ever seen. I can't, I can't imagine that. Uh, he, I don't know how he makes that cut, but he does it so uh, in such an incredible way. He's the healthiest guy I've ever met. Most disciplined athlete, most disciplined person I've ever been around really? in my entire life. Obsessed with discipline and training, the the performance mindset or competitive mindset. The guy's the the best I've ever been around, but he is the only person to ever make me completely claustrophobic underneath. I've never been claustrophobic underneath anyone, and he just takes my uh, not in a weird way, but he takes my breath away. Um, and, <laughs> not in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, just it, he he makes you want to quit. He he and he's so and he's always about putting yourself in the worst position possible and becoming uncomfortable or being comfortable being uncomfortable mm, and just yeah. making yourself to where no matter where you get put like you're gonna fight out of it you're always just one step away from a finish mm. like you finishing them even if they're about to finish you you're you're just you're just a few small steps just inches away from getting out of there reversing it taking their back you know putting them on their back and mounting and just finishing and man he's he's incredible he's the only guy that i've ever seen be able to go through like 10 10 minute rounds or, or uh, sorry 10 8 minute rounds back to back when he was training for the ADCCs wow i mean he was just an animal no 10 10s it was 10 10s and i was just blown away that he could do that and we were having to rotate fresh guys on him Jesus. and uh, by the end of it he he got tired of it but that was the only time i've ever seen him tired but <laughs> actually tired um, and so he's just an absolute animal it's a lifestyle for him it's honestly so incredibly 
inspiring. And I feel like just being around them and me doing a lot of the same things, that that's what's going to make me the Bellator heavyweight champ. But like just us feeding off each other, it's really cool dynamic. But if I can be half as disciplined as he is, I'll be the most disciplined heavyweight fighter there is. Wow. Um, so it's 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 pretty amazing being around him and his mindset and how he travels the world seeking out the um, the top instructors um, in every discipline. I mean, he's going down to Brazil to um, Evolo Evolo Saltai, um, that used to be, or it's kind of like in Shooter Box, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be Shooter Box. And he goes in Curitiba, right? Yep, Curitiba, yeah. and goes and soaks up those good vibes at the the like largest waterfall in the world, or one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then is just in training camp. Does with he these speak guys. Uh, Portuguese? He does. He does. A lot of people mistake him as Brazilian, but his family's Spanish, and he grew up in Oklahoma City. So there's <laughs> no Brazilian in him, but he speaks fluent um, Portuguese. Where did he and, learn? Uh, I think through jujitsu, through wow. jujitsu, being around people, always trying to put himself in those situations. And then he would go down, I think he was a 16 year old kid and he would go down to Brazil sometimes by himself and stay for like a month or two or Jesus. I think he might've done it for, for, for four months at one time. Wow. Um, so he's a really, really special individual. He's the guy that I've, I've never seen take, take a break or take off. I mean, he competed, he fought three times in Bellator this year, three and oh, um, in between that, he had a super fight with Buchecha. Um, he had another grappling tournament. He had the ADCCs. He was just going from every two months he was competing, every two months. But he was staying healthy the whole time too, which blew my mind because he takes his uh, – we have a place called the ARC that we train at, the Athlete Recovery Center, and it's got hot and cold plunges and the infrared saunas and the cryotherapy and the – uh, just all sorts of stuff. Those Normatec boots and our PTs there and our strength conditioning coaches right there. So it's all in one shop. And so right after he's done training, he's recovering where he gets there early and he's stretching out. And so the whole warming up truly and cooling down and taking care of your body and putting the right fuel in it, eating whole foods at all times, like just not putting garbage in your body. Um, man, he's going to be, uh, the Bellator, uh, middleweight champion um, probably pretty soon. I think they have that maybe lined up in the next two or three fights. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to see him compete against like really upper echelon guys, like guys like Musasi, mm -hmm. along those lines. Yeah, the guy he just fought, um, Chris Honeycutt, was in the NCAA finals. That was the first high-level wrestler that he's competed against. He won every single round. Um, the first six fights, he finished everybody. Um, and so it's going to be exciting. If, if, if there's someone watching this that hasn't, you know, watched Rafael Lovato Jr. compete, whether it's in grappling or MMA, like go follow him because he's he's going to do it. He's going to be a champ. Yeah, he's a savage for sure. What does he weigh before he uh, makes the cut to 185? So I don't want to put a specific number, but I think it's around 210, uh, 215, 220, something like that. <laughs> um, so Jesus I know I, uh, whenever he's in camp, he's trying to walk around at uh, less than 200 when he can. And he's about, like, what, 6'2"? No, six, he's 6'4". 6'4", six, four. Six, four? Six, and he's got, like, some of the longest reach. Damn. Yeah, yeah he's and he at least 6'4". he gets down to 185. That's yeah. crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you I think see, he's probably like, a size 13, 14. his Instagram, and you can see a picture of him <laughs> with his shirt off. Homeboy is fucking shredded. Shredded, man. He's 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 got to be in the neighborhood of like eight or nine percent body fat. Uh, yeah, yeah, zero. <laughs> but <laughs> but just jacked, uh, shredded. Just as a heavyweight, I've always just envied anyone that was under fifteen or whatever. So yeah, there he is. <laughs> I mean, come on, son. Yeah, just shredded, and uh, and he looks Jack down at every 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 guy he's ever fought. I mean, if you see other weigh-in photos, like they're all looking up at him, like literally their, their yeah, chins up in the I'm air. I'm sure. And he went through him. a pretty significant injury a few years back, right? Didn't he have like he a pec tear or something? Yeah, I think it was the 
is there a pec tendon or something, something like, that? like that? I think it was the tendon in there that connects like the shoulder and the pec yeah. and completely tore it and had to have reconstructive uh, surgery. And man, the guy's so disciplined. I mean, I mean, he went through uh, like anyone, all of us athletes would um, being bummed out a bit. But, uh, you know, he had this machine that was, you know, moving his arm up and down and, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting there. Uh, but then the guy is a planner, a visualizer. Like he takes advantage, even the times he's not on the mat, he's structuring his life around it to where he's writing down his goals and his dreams and this month's plan, the next three months plan, uh, this week's plan, this day's plan. I'm wow. just writing every single thing out. So that way he can make sure that he's doing everything he can. Even when he's not training, he's, he's training, you know, he's training wow. his mind, he's training uh, everything for that so that he can, he can perform at the best. And I think that's why he competes at such a high level. And I'm, I'm speaking about him like this and, but it's all true. It's all honest. I'm not just trying to give the guy props. Like he, he earned that from me at least. And I think you should from pretty much anyone he competes with because, um, Man, I mean, his match with Buchecha even was so competitive. Mm-hmm. He could have easily won that match. Um, he could have won the ADCCs. I mean, easily he. Buchecha's uh, a big fellow too. Yeah, I know. Like two two forty five would just like yeah, just and then world class. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, won the ADCCs. I think four. Now I'm a big Lovato fan. I think he's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to say. I, I always love when the really the highest level guys in any discipline mm. enter into MMA. Mm. You know, and when you see a guy like him who's just a just jujitsu phenom, and now he's like, okay, now I'm going to try to take over MMA. Or a guy like Gokan Saki mm. enters into the UFC. Like, oh, okay, let's see what happens when you get like a real high level guy in any discipline who enters into uh, MMA. It's always interesting because they're such specialists. Because most MMA fighters, you know, pretty good at wrestling, pretty good at jiu-jitsu, pretty good at kickboxing, but not elite, mm. like world-class, world championship level at any different discipline. Yeah. So when you see a guy who is like Rafael Lovato, who is world-class at jiu-jitsu, like world championship level, and then enters into MMA, it's like, ooh, yeah. what you going to do when he grabs you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like a, a totally Damian Maia. World. Yeah, yep. this, that's who Rafael is and seeing over doom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And something special about Rafael, you know, and then, but anyways, he's, uh, he can coach it so incredibly well too. Mm. And that's not always the case with, yeah. with a lot of athletes. I've been coached by a lot of incredible wrestlers. Um, Kenny Monday, Kendall cross, they were incredible coaches. Kale Sanderson. Um, I've been coached on the mats by Dan Gable and some other guys. Um, so absolute legends. And his coaching is also just so thorough and so exact. And it's, it's like you see the guy at the top right now who's, who's performing at the best. And he's able to teach it at such a high level that that's why he's, you know, coached up some other mm. grappling world champions and stuff like that. And now his focus is on MMA. It's just perfect timing that him and I got to train together for a full year now and taken in 2018. Both of us want to be, you know, hunting down those belts. Did you move down to Oklahoma City specifically to train with him? There was a few reasons. Um, but yeah, that was that was one of the big ones. Um, I was going to regardless uh, because Water 4 is based out of there and Fight for wow. the Forgotten is underneath Water 4. And so we're, we're partners with them. Um, and and they've taken over all the administrative stuff, and we're officially an initiative underwater for That's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's it's incredible. Um, so 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 stoked that they're they're making things just um, flourish. We're going to serve over two hundred thousand people with clean water this year. That's so incredible. Um, yeah, and we're doing a benefit tonight at the comedy store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's going to be incredible. Super man. pumped. One yeah. of many. I think we're going to start doing these all the time there. I just thinking we do shows there all the time, so cool. and most of the time we just do shows. And I'm like, well, why shouldn't we just do shows? I mean. 
couple times a month or so, just donate all the money. So that's what we're going to do. Man, I'm blown away by it. So stoked. Um, Well, I just found out right before we got on the podcast that there's a generous donor out of Oklahoma City, um, and he's going to match whatever comes in uh, today uh, on the website, whether that's at the Comedy Store or now, um, up to $10,000. So the first $10,000 will be matched, and so that first... 10,000 will be doubled. It'll turn into 20,000. Um, so just so stoked. So whatever comes in through the doors, uh, man, it can be doubled. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like the first time we did this, uh, we got Bitcoin mm. uh, from people and they donated Bitcoin. And I have that Bitcoin on my phone and I have to get it off the phone. But that Bitcoin is now worth like $50,000. So what I did was I took that Bitcoin, I took the cash version of it, and I donated it to Water4, and then I matched it. And now we're up to – so all that additional money is yours too. Like it's not mine. Oh, my gosh. So it's yours. So it's like there's an additional $45,000 in there. Yeah, so we got to get it off, get it off the phone, but that'll go to water for us. Oh man, I can't. This isn't fake. I can't fake this kind of smile, man. I'm I'm happy too, man. Yeah, and it's the thing is, do you keep it in there for a while? Because if you keep it in there for a while, it might be worth even more. Do you bail now? What do you? It might go way up. Oh well, then we can keep it way, way, way up. Like how way? Like speculation in the next six to twelve months is at least twenty thousand, if not fifty thousand. Well, that's like way high speculation. I'm not oh my buying into all, right. all of well, that. Well, this is what I'll do. I'll leave it up to you guys. We'll get the, the Bitcoin off the phone, and then I'll essentially leave it up to you guys when you want to pull the trigger and take the money out of it. Okay. Because that seems to be the right. Because like, Well, let's, let's, first let's I get thought, some advi- advisors to tell us. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to get Andreas Antonopoulos. He's going to be on the podcast soon, okay. and he's the guy who set up all this Bitcoin stuff for me in the first place. Um, the bitcoins all came in as donations. So just so any, anybody knows, like, because some people accused me of not donating that money to you, and I had explained to them, no, I took the bitcoin and yeah. I just whatever the money value of it was, then I gave yeah, that you gave to that, you guys for sure. So, but I remember that. But the what's left, I still it's not mine. It's it's you know just because I gave. I mean, I have it, but it's not mine. It's yours. So it's it uh, is all donation. That's just. I thought as a science project, I'm like, let's just see what happens with this yeah. shit. I don't want to take it out. It and, could have been zero. It yeah, could well, have I also worthless. didn't want to turn it into money. I didn't want to cash it out. Mm. So I said, let me just give you guys whatever money it is, and I'll hold on to that, and I'll see what happens with it. But now it's worth 50 grand. Wow, that's nuts. So yeah. More than that, 665. Oh, so. Jesus. Yeah, it keeps going up. It's like on a crazy spike right now. Wow, it's, it's now it's worth $13,000? Yeah, Holy each shit. coin is, yeah. Whoa, like that's five or so coins. I that's think. crazy. And I will also put out my uh, Bitcoin address once I get it off the phone for you guys if you want to donate money. And again, all of that money, none of it goes to me. It's all going to go to Water for. It's all going to go to Fight for the Forgotten, which is the shirt that I'm wearing. And that's what the benefit is tonight at the Comedy Store. All the money is going to Fight for the Forgotten. And you can donate, yeah. too, at, what is the website? It's fightfortheforgotten.org slash donate. And if you guys haven't paid attention to any of Justin's podcast before, I'll give you a brief rundown. Justin was on The Ultimate Fighter, uh, fought for the UFC for a while, and then found his true calling going to the Congo and building wells for the pygmies. And it's just 
an amazing story. You could watch some of the podcasts. You could watch some of the short clips on you. And I know there's a documentary on you that's coming out soon as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be the summer of uh, 2018. And so thank you so much for even doing a sit-down interview on that. Oh, my that's pleasure. Gonna, my pleasure. It's going to add a whole lot of value to the film and, and just give it a louder uh, voice or, or a wider reach because my first promise to the Pygmies, and this was even um, so Man, I'm just so thankful for the support of this community and personally you, uh, because man, when I first came on, we hadn't drilled any wells. In fact, I had just had Andy Bo, um, you know, I, was, I had held him, and he's a one and a half year old boy that I held as he passed away, and uh, and it wrecked me. It changed me, and but I knew we were going to do something with water. I just knew it. Um, but my first time on the podcast, there were zero wells drilled. I was just going to go there and live for a year. And hopefully we were going to build an incredible team. You know, that team is now 20 strong, uh, full-time, 12 part-time, um, been able to drill 70 water wells now. That's amazing. 70 communities have been transformed. Um, if that Bitcoin is 50 grand, I mean, yeah. 4,200. 65, he said. Oh, 65 grand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a math whiz, so, uh, I, I fight for a living, but, um, but it's, uh, $4,200 transforms a community, uh, uh, it, it helps our teams go out there and survey the land. We have a survey team now that gets to go out and scout it out beforehand, um, tell our teams what tools to bring out and what obstacles to expect. Um, so that's a few hundred dollars, four or $500 to go survey. Um, then to drill the wells around $2,700 and then to help the community and really teach and train them. So we educate the locals with the knowledge on how to drill the wells. We equip them with the tools to be able to do it. Um, and how many then, of them can read? So uh, of our well drillers, everyone, uh, well, I think everyone can, uh, a lot of them have, have even graduated from a university of, uh, with community development degrees. Um, I mean, the people that live in the, the Mabuti pygmies, yeah. uh, the Mabuti pygmies, none of them, uh, there's a, f I've met two people, I think two, maybe three that can actually read, uh, and they're the chiefs. Um, one of them is actually an incredible guy, chief Alondo, um, his grandson's Jippy and he's going to be chief one day. And I, that's like my favorite little guy over there. Um, and Jippy's in school now. And, uh, there's a long story with that, but it's, it's one of the first times ever the Mabuti pygmies have ever been in school, uh, and sustainably to where they can even pay their school fees. Um, mm. and they can have food there because they can buy the food. Um, and so, but traditionally they don't have a written language. Um, they don't have a calendar, so they wow. don't know their age. Um, and so they're really, really traditional hunter gatherer society. That's just, uh, incredible. Incredible. You love them. They're, you know, with the bows, they're, they're deadly. I've seen a little boy, uh, probably eight, nine, 10 years old, um, climb up, uh, the canopy of the rainforest is probably, it's well over hundred feet. It's probably 150, 200 feet. Um, and seeing a guy shimmy up there, eight, nine, 10 years old to the top. And, uh, he's with, a got, bow. with a bow on his, like hung around his neck. Um, and so he goes up there and then he's sniping, you know, parrots or, or other kind of birds, they eat parrots, they, eat anything they anything. can find, man. Yeah. So I, I, uh, one thing that they do, I, I don't know why this popped in my mind, but, uh, if they're running and they're hunting after an antelope, uh, and a bee flies by, they're going to chase that bee to the hive because, uh, they, they, honey to them is like gold. I mean, it's, it's, they love honey having something sweet. So they'll risk their lives to climb up into the trees. They set a fire at the bottom of the tree, let the smoke go up and then they climb up there and they just reach in. And these are African bees. These are killer bees that they're reaching into the honey hive and just pulling it out and dropping it down in a basket or just or just plopping it down and just getting leaves. jacked just with getting stars, jacked. Huh? sometimes two people go up there and oh the one God. one guy's purpose is just to have like a 
a twig and leaves that, that he's hitting the, the bees off of the guy reaching in. Jesus um, so he's Christ. just protecting them. But then when those guys come back into the village and they have this just treasure pot of, of, of honey, the whole village celebrates their heroes. Um, and you know, cause they literally did risk their lives um, right. for their wives, for their kids so that they could have some honey. Wow. Um, and they save it, they savor it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Another thing they do is if they're on a hunt and they find a turtle, um, they'll actually make it look so almost like the kids here that have like Ninja Turtle backpacks. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll tie a vine around the feet of the turtle and then they put it on their back and then they go up back to hunting. And if they get an animal, if they get like do an they kill the turtle first? No, they just keep it alive and it's on their back and. If they get a kill of an antelope or a wild hog or something like that, they actually let the turtle go. And then if really? they, yeah, uh, they, they only take what they need. So they respect the forest and its resources um, so much. So they only keep what they need. What a fucking tumultuous ride for that t- poor turtle. turtle. Yeah, you're right. It's like, Jesus, right I hope these that. motherfuckers find a yeah. pig. But... <laughs> 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 but 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 if they if they don't and they have food and dinner later for their kids right. and so they bring it back and they'll just cut it open and put it on the fire and uh, and, and Did boil you eat it. Turtle? Have you eaten? I have eaten turtle there. What's it like? Um, it's not the best. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really gamey and mm. um, uh, it's really really chewy. The kind that I had mm. um, and I don't know what part I had, but I've I've had even monkey there. Uh, th- this was before I was there doing the Ebola breakout and everything. Jesus. Um, but uh, I didn't know that you get it from eating monkey. And so they just, <laughs> they, they eat monkey all the time. Oh there. My eat, God. I've eaten monkey several times now, probably, really? probably five, six, seven times. Wow. What um, does it taste like? I, it's going to sound goofy, but it's super tender. Um, it was some of the best meat I've had. The one they gave me, I think it was part of like the, around the femur bone or whatever. Does it freak you out to eat a primate? Uh, it didn't. No. Uh-huh. At first I thought it was kind of crazy. And then after I tasted it, it was really, really good. And so <sighs> after that, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. My friend Steve Ranella went to, um, where was it in South America that he went to? I cannot remember. Uh, but he was, uh, down there hunting with this tribe and they prefer monkey over everything. Oh man. It's that good. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's good really good i'm not just saying that i mean it's it's really good and they celebrate whenever whatever monkey size they bring back whether it's a big one or a little guy um they're gonna they're gonna really celebrate because that's some of the they call it the sweet meat so what does it say he's at yeah they're eating monkeys too does it say where he's at bolivia bolivia that's it yeah that's uh I, th- I think there's even a YouTube video. Sometimes people can go check out on my YouTube channel of me trying monkey for the first time. I thought they were teasing me. And so at the end, I go, no, it's this is chicken. It's got to be chicken. And they're like, no, it's monkey. And after I got off, they walked me outside to, to where the monkey like carcass was still there and everything. And I was like, dang, this is, this is real. Like, it's wow. really, really, really good. And I said <laughs> it tastes like chicken. Yeah, um, that's funny because Ronella said it tasted like a smoked turkey leg. Yeah, it's like the way they cook it. They cooked it over like the meat consistency leaves uh, over the fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so man. It's it's awesome, and we're about to get two to three thousand more acres of land. Oh yeah, monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) We got a monkey harvest coming in. I hope so. But Uh, no, 
I, I don't think I'd be a hunter if that was all you could hunt was monkeys. Yeah. I'd be like, I think I'm going vegan. Yeah, he's a vegetarian. Coming back here, you know, my wife like shed a tear. I think because I ate a monkey. Really? <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, I, she she was she was like, you ate a what? <laughs> <laughs> so so I think she still thinks I just had one instead of five or six. Oh, well, now she knows. Oh uh, yeah. Whoops. Oh, Actually, man. yeah, she does now because <laughs> of this. But um, man, it's it's such an adventure living out there, and so to be able to empower the locals to do it for themselves is just so key. Like that's, that's, I guess the message I'm, I'm preaching is just the opportunity is greater than charity. That's so, why I asked you if they could read, if it's yeah. like, do they, do you give them instruction manuals with how to maintain and how to the upkeep for wells or how to build a new one or. So with the pygmies, they're involved in helping us get our equipment out there. I mean, sometimes our hikes are from the nearest quote unquote road, which none of us would call a road at all. Um, and the same drive, some of the times the drive to the beginning of the rainforest where from the airport is four, no, six hours, the same exact drive has taken 24 hours or 48 hours. We had to dig out like 40 cars in front of us one time because they were just stuck in the mud, um, and to get around it. So, but once we get to the rainforest, it can take an hour, two hours, three hours to hike each way. Um, and so a round trip <laughs> to, with one ton of well drilling equipment wow. um, is a lot. So the whole village helps us. I mean, there's an incredible Swahili proverb that basically says, if you think you, or if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so I think it's beautiful because they, they don't even let us do all the work alone. Mm. They know that we're going to come, come in there and help them with something that's so precious, that's life-saving, life-giving to them. So uh, they, they all send 100 people to come help us with our equipment. And so what, what used to take us uh, days to take in, you know, it takes us just that one trip. And so they help us get it in there. They build us huts. So basically they build us a home just like what they live in. Um, very hospitable, give us our food while we're there. They must us. be so happy that you showed up. Can you imagine some big white dude from America out of nowhere, just like, hey, I'm going to live with you guys and make wells. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever come down here and made a well? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Meanwhile, you made 70 wells now. They must be like, how is this possible? Yeah, well, well, what I love is the, the heroes of this are our 32 well drillers. We even have, now, uh, I got to share on your podcast last time that Pacha Soap, which was inspired even by this podcast and listening to this working at night, the night shift, and having a dream to start up Pacha Soap, which is in Whole Foods, and they got another brand that's in Target. It's super successful. Um, and That's awesome. Yeah, they're helping us buy land there in the Congo, um, and we're st starting up a soap production facility. So we have an essential oil press, and we're hiring the locals to wow. be able to get all the essential oils, like eucalyptus and avocado oil and palm oil and different raw materials, because the only thing they have available to them right now is car washing soap. That's literally from China or from India. It's just packed with chemicals. Right. When I used it, it left me raw. I mean, like in oh, pain yeah. from it. And yeah, so, you're better off with no soap at all, just yeah. washing yourself with dirt. Right. And so by the way, you can do that if people don't know. Yeah. If you just take dirt, like if you're somewhere and there's no no soap, just take dirt and just literally use water and mud and just wash yourself with the dirt and then rinse it all off. You're just trying to scrub off the bullshit. And dirt is probably better for you than antibiotic soaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. And so we're about to get two to three thousand acres more of land. So we have three thousand acres. That's there awesome, now, man. And it's about to be five to six thousand acres. What then, if we reach out? and reach out to people because i know a lot of people do like to go to places like that and teach english hmm. what if there was a way or what would be the language to teach that would be most beneficial for them down there 
So language-wise, is really tough because what they, do they speak? there's over 200 spoken languages in Congo, over oh. 200. And so there's five national languages. Uh, the government and schools and hospitals uh, is French. Um, it was colonized by Belgium, uh, and it's, that's a nut story. Um, but then uh, they also speak Swahili in the east. Um, they speak Lingala in the west. Uh, they speak Banakongo, and there's one more that I'm missing. Um, when you but, talk to them, how do you? T- what do you talk to them with? So I have very, very broken uh, Swahili. Very, very broken Swahili. But the Swahili they speak there is um, it's mixed with a little bit of French. Um, and also uh, the local language. So you, you've you got to truly li- live there. Right. And over the last six years, I've been there for about maybe a year and seven, eight, year, nine months, uh, boots on the ground, um, a year at one time. And then, uh, man, it, but but the, the saying about Swahili is that it was born in Tanzania, it got sick in Kenya, it died in Uganda, and they took it to the Congo to bury it because they can't communicate with anyone in Uganda or, I mean, not, not truly communicate and wow. get their point across. So it's, what it's I meant really by tough. teaching them English is um, teaching them how to read. Yeah. Like I just think that if you could somehow or another teach them some language where they could read and write things down, and you, like, you could just keep, keep this thing going yeah. with them while they're there. What, what I think is really cool is now... Um, we, we've got this video up on uh, it's, it's on YouTube. It's Chief Leo May's transformation. And so Chief Leo May, uh, in his village, it was just an incredible transformation. They had never owned land of their own, but Chief Leo May remembered uh, his grandfather used to actually take him to hunt on that land that they now own. And so uh, now it's theirs, and his grandson's going to be able to say, you know, this was my grandfather's land, just like he's able to say, you know, I used to hunt with my grandfather here. But um, so from the land that they have, they have land, water, and food. There they have about 500 acres, I believe. And so then they have their own water. And now they've grown so many banana trees there. They used to get paid one to two bananas a day for labor. From sunup to sundown, a banana or two a day. Now they have hundreds and hundreds of banana trees. I mean, probably five, 600 banana trees in that one village. Oh. And from that, they're able to go sell it. When they sell it, they can buy their own clothes for the first time. They can uh, now pay school fees so that they can actually go to the local school and learn to read and write. It's a little bit of a hike for them, but they can go learn and read and write. And so it's the first time that, I mean, it could even create an opportunity for the Mabuti Pygmies to have um, representation at their version of Congress in the Congo for the wow. first time ever. There's over 200 tribes represented there. The only one not represented is the Mabuti Pygmies. And so to get them educated, uh, the excuse used to be from the government was they're not, a, they're not really uh, people. They're part man, part animal. That was the government saying that, I think, in the early 2000s. Um, maybe the late 90s, but early 2000s, they were saying they're half man, half animal, that they'll never have <sighs> representation. But now it's started to shift to where we even have a governor, the governor of the largest state in Congo, um, sponsoring everything we do, You know, endorsing it, saying, hey, you have free range of the Ituri region, and we want you to drill here, and we want you to drill there. And so he's actually come on our side and said, what, the work you guys are doing is really great because it's through the locals. It's locally led. Um, and so to have that opportunity, once some of the Mobuti Pygmies are educated, have a high school education, maybe we can get them to a local university there or right next door, <clears throat> maybe in Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, um, then they can go back and they can actually start representing themselves. Um, because now they say, if they're educated, then we can, but none of them are educated. Kind right. of, so it would draw out the process longer. But now they're, you know, the next generation will be. And that's what's inspired you also to get back into MMA again. Yeah. 
and that inspired you to sign up with Bellator. And since then, you've had three fights? Three fights. And won all three. Yep. And uh, now you're one of the top Bellator heavyweight contenders. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of crazy because when we first talked, you hadn't fought in a long time and you were five years two months yeah and you weren't training you were just kind of like going back and forth to the congo and then right. you know that had to be a crazy thing to just get back into it after all that time out it was the hardest thing i've ever done um physically at least i'm sure I, to get yourself back in that kind of shape in between my first and second fight back i had malaria again um and that was my third time to have that he's got malaria uh, three times folks by the way <laughs> yeah and so that time I, I got malaria while i was there because it was so bad i broke out in shingles um which you know being 30 just now turning 30 so then i was like 28 or 29 um, to have shingles, the doctor's like, you're too young for this. And uh, my body was just that stressed out. Too young out. for shingles? Yeah. I've heard I get, of people getting shingles. Uh, well, like I, fighters. Guess, I guess normally, uh, that might be like impetigo or met herpes, something right. like that. But I they did the culture or whatever, and it mm -hmm. was shingles. Um, and it's supposed to be an older generation thing, I think. And uh, No kidding. I didn't know shingles. Is it I think because, they say uh, it starts like 40 and beyond. Is it a compromised um, immune issue? Is that what it is? The yeah. The idea? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's, it's actually chicken pox coming back out in your body so if you haven't had chicken pox you can't have shingles um, and so it's like it lays dormant in your body and then once you get into older age or your immune system is compromised then shingles can Whoa. reappear that is the most fucked up thing about the human body that it harbors these bacteria and they sit there waiting just waiting <coughs> yeah. biding my time to <laughs> fuck up your life yeah waiting yeah and so then i had oh man dude i had that then i had shingles and then i came back and for uh a month or two months the doctors were trying to figure out what was wrong with me because i was clear of malaria um, but the cdc did two tests on me for malaria again but they found out i had dengue fever so Jesus every, every, every night i was going to sleep i was waking up and that was probably did you tell them you ate a monkey uh, I, I did, I did, and then they did wanted they look to look at you like sideways. Like, oh fuck! Bro. They wanted to do the quarantine thing on me. Um, oh and boy! So, but it had been over three months uh, since I had since Ebola had broken out, and it had been three months since I'd been back. What happened to Ebola? Ebola was like gonna kill us all, just like a year ago. Remember, everybody's freaking out. That one lady who's a, a nurse who wouldn't be quarantined. She's like, "Fuck you! I'm going outside." Like, no, she's gonna kill us all. You selfish bitch. <laughs> So, so Ebola was actually discovered in Congo. Uh, there's a river called the Ebola River. Oh, great! Um, and so that's that's where it was discovered, and it actually came back. It broke out since the big crazy one. It broke out, and I think it was like less than 100 people. It might have been like 10 um, or less, and so they really were able to contain it, which is impressive to be able to do in Congo because it's not as organized as as anywhere else. Um, but yeah, so man, but on the MMA journey back. It, it was it was really really tough. I mean the muscle memory just was not there mm. <laughs> I had lost the wrestling I grew up with um, And the cardio obviously wasn't there after five years off um, But the sicknesses other things my body was healed uh, the muscles and joints and uh, Ligaments and all that. I think uh, I, I felt better than ever there. It was just the muscle memory wasn't coming back and um, The cardio was really tough and I had to shed some weight um, yeah, the muscles just get healthy. The muscles and the the cartilage and the joints and everything like that they probably benefited from all that time off, right? Just, I think so a lot. Because so many guys get by the time you're 30. I mean, how many MMA fighters are just have like really huge injuries by yeah. the time they're 30, 31 years old? It's pretty common. Yeah, to start, I fought, started fighting uh, at 19 years old professionally MMA, and so um, and I was always the young guy in the heavyweight division. 
Um, and so now just turning 30, I feel like I got a lot of miles left on me having those five years off. And so a lot uh, of life experience too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I honestly think a lot of people are like, Oh, so you didn't, you took off and that's probably impossible for me. It was a whole other kind of training. I mean, kind of like I was talking about Raphael and the being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, I've slept in the mud, uh, woke up in the mud, at least slept on the dirt, woke up in the mud because the rain came so hard and sleeping under twig and leaf huts on the dirt, you know, no, no mattress underneath, you know, anything. Um, and so, I mean, to have that to battle through the sicknesses, to, to see what they suffer from and how they dig deep on a daily basis. Um, they're in survival mode and to see the battles they fight and then to have, you know, 32 of my heroes there that have drilled 70 wells that whenever a bridge collapses because a truck is illegally logging and they overloaded their, their weight and they just collapse this 1930s bridge. And then I think, Oh, what's going to be impossible. And then they get out of the truck. They start walking through the water with all our well drilling equipment. And we're going to find another way. We're going to get, uh, taxi motorcycles to, to ride in everything we needed this big truck uh, to carry in. And so it's going to take a lot longer. It's going to be a lot harder, but we're going to get it done and we're going to win this fight. So you feel like that was a, a training sort of tool for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say this, but um, or I don't want to compare it to this, but it's almost like uh, it was a life experience and kind of like some of our Navy guys, Navy SEALs, <coughs> where they do the special forces training. Um, I think this was my version of like kind of special training for me as a fighter. It, it enlarged uh, my heart or deepened the well of who I am. Um, and so I think I just have more of a motivation uh, to go in there and win than it any other It feels like your submission passion. game has really come up a lot now. Yeah. It just so seems I have the wrestling, like and yeah. now my submission game is on point. Being with, yeah. You're a blue belt now under Lovato. <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I wanted to do it um, the right way. I wanted mm -hmm. to do it the way that, that, that every other student does it. And so it was, it was really cool uh, to get that. I didn't know that that would mean so much to me, uh, but, it, but it really did. Crazy, right? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> nuts, man. It's nuts how that, award, or that, that promotion um, is a milestone in my martial arts journey. That's why it's so good for kids. Martial arts yeah. are so good for kids because it gives them a tangible representation of their hard work. Hmm. Like you get, give them a belt and they tie on that belt and they have this giant smile on my face. You know, when my kids, uh, my kids take martial arts and when they get a new belt, they have this giant smile on their face. They're so happy and they jump around, they look at it, they want to wear it home and that was me. squeeze it. Yeah, <laughs> me too, man. I remember when I got my blue belt, I was like, holy shit, I'm not a white belt anymore. Yes. Yeah. You know, you feel like I've, I've, I made it over the hump. And the, what they say is if you can make it to purple belt, you can make it to black belt. Yeah. That's the, the blue belt is like you're just working hard. If you work hard, you get there. Hey, you know, you're not, you're not at white belt anymore. But yeah. if you can get to purple belt, like, hey, man, just keep going and you can be a black belt. Yeah. And in, in Lovato's school of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it says um, a black belt is a white belt who never quit. Yeah. And so that's, that's just a great quote. Big. I've heard that before. Yeah, I like it, man. It's yeah. a, an interesting time now for jujitsu and MMA. It really is because you're seeing like some guys like uh, this weekend, Brian Ortiz, hmm. um, Ortega rather. Brian yeah, Ortega, Ortega is fighting uh, Cub Swanson, and Brian Ortega. T I'm trying to remember his nickname. T City. T City. Triangle that's right. City. He's got one of the best guards in MMA. Yeah. And Ortega is fucking nasty off of his back. I mean, he's just. He's you, so he, good. Do you think he lulls them to sleep with his baby blue eyes? 
and then and then locks it face. up. Beautiful <laughs> face, long flowing locks, just like you. Yeah. So Brian is, um, in my opinion, probably the best guy in the division off of his back. I don't think there's anybody that could fuck with him at 145, especially now that Charles Oliveira is moved up to uh, 55. I think he's the best at 45. His fucking submission game is so lightning t- lightning fast and just tight as can be. But Cub Swanson's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu too. Yeah. And Cub is a nasty striker too and super unorthodox, like real weird. But Brian is a fucking great striker too and Brian is unmotherfucking defeated. Mm. 12 and 0 with uh, one no contest. So I'm That's I'm, an interesting fight. Fuck yeah it is. It's it's like a a you know, it's it's a real crossroads fight in a lot of ways because Cub is at the top of the heap in the 145-pound division. He's lost to some of the big guys like Max Holloway, lost to Frankie Edgar, but he's still really respected and thought of as one of the top guys in the division. And Ortega, being this young prodigy at 12-0, and 0, has this opportunity now to fight one of the most crafty veterans in the division, so, I sound, like it. Sounds like a similar opportunity that Nagano just had, mm-hmm. Francis just had, you know, to, to be that young lion, yep. to come up and to yeah. throw in a guy and really announce himself as as one of the top contenders. Ortega can submit anybody in the world. I really believe that. And he, he'll he box with you, too. The thing about Ortega is, like, he'll make it seem like there's no intention whatsoever to go to the ground. And then sometimes he boxes guys up, and then when they want to take him to the ground because they don't like the stand-up, that's when they're fucksville. Mm. He's got an interesting strategy in that regard because in the last fight, I was thinking like, wow, this is kind of interesting. We're in the third round. He still has not tried to submit this guy. Like, that's his game. And then, boom, they go to the ground and he instantly catches him with a guillotine. But the reason they went to the ground, his opponent took him down because he didn't like the stand-up. That's smart. Yeah, so his strategy. His stand-up keeps coming up higher and higher and higher. But when it comes to jiu-jitsu, he's one of the very best in the sport. He's really good. How far away is he from here? Where he trains? He's close. He's in Black House. Black House is in Compton, um, or that area. So it's, I don't know if it's exactly Compton. It's Compton adjacent. But, uh, so there's that. Go to the, go to the 219 card. Oh, you know what? Go to the fucking, um, the Fox card. That's a big one. That is... Yeah, that one right there. Oh, man. Robbie I Lawler, Rafael Dos Anjos. Good, Former googly, lightweight googly. and welterweight champ. Yeah, yeah, man. That is fucking interesting. And he's been doing so great, man. Yeah, well, like Make Lovato. Yeah. I mean, uh, Dos Anjos, what he's done um, in going up from 155 to 170, there was like, well, he was the champ, but he lost to Eddie Alvarez. Well, let's see how he does at 170. Looks way better. I mean, steamrolling people. The way he fucked up Neil Magny, leg oh kicked gosh. him to the ground, took him to the ground, smushed him. Yep. I mean, he beat Tarek Safadine in a stand-up fight, which is like, wow. Safadine is world-class striker. Yeah, Neil, Neil's a buddy of mine, and he is an absolute monster. And to have seen that fight, I mean, Rafael Desanos looks incredible at this weight. Yeah, he's... Uh, that's it's very interesting because I think he's supposed to be at 170 all along. Mm. It's not like he's a big 155 or that's made it up to 170, but he's kind of small at 170. No, he looks like a 170, and of course he's fighting one of the best 170s ever yeah. in the former champ Robbie Lawler. So that that should be a perfect fight for Fox because uh, you know just to for fun. I mean it's going to be a chaotic fight for. There's never been a goddamn boring Robbie Lawler fight ever. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he doesn't even know how to have a boring fight. Very, very, very true. What do you think of the Lamas fight? 
I like it, but Lamas was obviously training for um, for Aldo. Right. And so, uh, you know, he gets this change of guard. Now he's fighting Josh Emmett, who's a, who's a tough customer. And Emmett, a lot of people don't know him, but he's 12-1. and one. It's a good fight. Very good fight. Yeah, I'm excited to see how that goes out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited about the Ponzinobbio-Mike Perry fight. Yeah. I almost want this fight to just happen so Darren Till can fight Mike Perry. <laughs> I'm like, I'm almost like rooting for Mike Perry just so he can get out of it and they can make that Darren Till-Mike Perry fight. Because if they do decide to make that, because I know they tried to make Mike Perry versus Wonderboy, and Dana even announced it, and, and Wonderboy was like, hey, 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 slow the fuck down. Like, the guy had one fight in the UFC. I just fought for the title twice and then beat um, uh, Jorge uh, Masvidal. Right. And then you're, you're going to have me fight this guy, like, right away? Like, this is crazy. And, by the way, my thumbs hurt. He had, like, injuries in his thumbs. He was like, he got his thumbs. He was talking about it after the fight that he fucked up the tendons in his thumbs mm-hmm. when I was interviewing him. He's like, something happened in my hand. I thought I broke it. I'm not sure. So he's got a, he's got a lot of rest to, to go through. So... Darren Till's looking for an opponent. And they were talking about Darren Till versus Kamaru Usman, mm. which is very exciting as well. Because Kamaru Usman, who's slated, go to UFC 219. Usman is slated to fight against um, Meek Mill. I have known him since we were 15. Usman. We, Meek, we grew up Meek wrestling Mill. Emil together. Meek. Emil Meek. Yeah. Meek oh, Mill's yeah. a rapper. Meek Mill's a rapper, <laughs> right. Yeah, what the fuck's wrong with me? Emil Meek, who is uh, the, the, the crazy Viking motherfucker. In high school, people called Usman U.S. man for some reason. Uh, but Why? He's just a, just because of the way it's spelled? Yeah. But he's he was a, a terrifying guy. He is. He, he's he, one of the most terrifying guys in the sport. What I love seeing is I think in high school, our senior year, I think he graduated. In, or sorry, I think he finishes senior year fourth in the state of Texas. Um, so number four in, in wrestling. Uh, and then he went on to UNK or Nebraska Kearney and he, well, he up- never fought Meek Mill. Emil <laughs> <laughs> Meek is a scary guy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, was really looking forward to this fight. And then there was some talk of the fight night taking place because Emil couldn't get his visa settled out, sorted out. But then he got it sorted out. And Kamaru Usman was saying, hey, you know, I've already moved on. Hmm. And, and then so lately, uh, Emil Meek's Instagram and his uh, Twitter has been calling Kamaru Usman a chicken and saying he's ducking him and all kinds of crazy shit. So I do not know if this is official. I'm hoping that this is official because someone needs to challenge Usman. I mm-hmm. think Usman is one of the most dangerous and scary guys in the division, and he's not being talked about. Someone in the top ten that he's, yeah. he's earned that spot, I think. I believe so, there. too. There's so many tough guys in that division that he's sort of – kind of been overlooked in my opinion and to me when i watch him fight i'm like jesus christ this guy's a handful for everybody i think usman pull that card back up please i think usman is just uh he's got all the tools he's in his prime he's fucking super dangerous everywhere super dangerous standing up smashes people on the ground really fucking strong for the division top game out of control you know, we don't know what happens when he gets put on his back. We don't know what happens if he gets tagged, if he fights a world-class striker that could right. stand up. But what Emil Meek brings to the table, Emil Meek, I did it again. What uh, Emil Meek brings to the table is nasty power and a real warrior spirit. Yeah. I mean, Emil, Mahala. yeah, he came into the, the UFC after a KO victory over Husamar Palhares. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, I remember I watched that. I was like, get this guy in the UFC, please. Right yeah. yeah, 
Like he's a fucking animal. And the the thing is, everybody's running away from Kamaro Usman except Emil Meek. Mm. And maybe Meek Mill. We haven't asked him. Yeah, <laughs> he said Colby Covington's ducking him too right now. Oh, Kamaro uh, Usman said that? Yeah. Yeah, of course he is. Everybody's ducking him. But also, Colby would be wise because Colby's made so much noise after beating Damian Maya and try, he's trying to get a fight with Tyron Woodley. He's trying to like he's trying to promote himself. And the, the worst way to promote yourself is to fight Kamaru Usman. <laughs> but but Emil Meek is like, get me in there, bitch. Let's do it. So I I sincerely hope that this fight actually takes place because I think uh, I think it's a fucking wicked wicked fight. And uh, I want to see if uh, Emil has any answers for the problems that Kamaru Usman brings to the octagon. Because no one has so far. And, I mean, he's got one loss in his record. I do not know if that was in the UFC or outside the UFC. But in the last few fights we've seen him since he's won the Ultimate Fighter, he's just been unstoppable. But, again, not getting the credit that he deserves. Yeah, it's all, all of his fights inside the octagon seem to be all victories. He, he's one of the most naturally athletic guys that I've ever known. That's what I meant by growing up wrestling with him. He started wrestling in high school and finished fourth in the state, but then he went on to the NCAA's Division Two and just won, two. I think, two national titles or maybe three, and uh, he's a stud. Well, the big fight for me on this card is not just the title fight between Cyborg and Holly Holm, but yeah, that one. Mm. Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Edson Barboza. Come on, son. Number two and number three in the lightweight division which is the most stacked division i think it's like lightweight and welterweight are the, the two most stacked divisions but it's hard to it's hard to pick which one is most stacked but jesus christ i like this fight I like this fight a lot and apparently nurmagomedov has a new according to daniel cormier he told me nurmagomedov has a new conditioning guy and a okay. new or a new uh dietitian guy new nutrition guy and uh less dessert no tiramisu <laughs> he's backing off the tiramisu he's uh Got him, you know, on a very strict diet plan, and he's far lighter than he's ever been. And we're headed into this That's fight. Great. This fight is in what two weeks now? The thirtieth, and so today is three weeks away. Three weeks away. Yeah. So very exciting, very interesting. I'm fucking pumped for that fight because Barbosa is one of the best strikers in the division for sure, and Khabib can't do anything wrong on the feet because Edson can light, light him up for sure. I mean, this is the best striker, for sure the best striker that Khabib has fought. He fought Michael Johnson, who's a good striker. And Michael Johnson caught him and tagged him and had him rocked. And it was the first time we saw any adversity whatsoever or any real, like, real struggle for Khabib. But he went on to dominate that fight, and he took him to the ground and just beat the shit out of him. And he's 24-0, and 0, which is unprecedented. You know, 24-0 and 0 and just been steamrolling everybody. Mm. So, he's only like 30, right? 29, 30, something like that. I do not know his age, but Anyways, he's, I, he's, I feel like he's not even in his prime yet. What, how, what does it say here? 29, 29. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's like right at the door if, of his athletic prime. If he can stay healthy, prime. I know he's had a bunch of injuries, but if he can, if he can get healthy and stay healthy, man, it's going to be scary seeing what he does. Yeah, for Barboza, it's all about just keeping the fight standing, and Barboza has wicked leg kicks. He's the only guy in the UFC that stopped two guys with leg kicks. Um, he stopped uh, Rafael Oliveira with leg kicks and Mike Lulo. Both those guys he stopped with leg kicks. How do I remember that? I don't know. 
but uh, his, uh, his his leg kicks are amongst the fastest I've ever seen in any division. His switch kick, fastest switch kick I've ever seen. It's fucking ridiculous when he when he lights it up, like off that left leg. You're like Jesus, like it's like he's he's getting there with half the time that most world class fighters get there with that kick. So that's uh that's well, interesting. Yeah, that spinning hill, hill kick is like oh, yeah ridiculous as fast as most people's just normal head kick. Yeah, his spinning shit's out of control. He's just a ridiculous striker, but it's all about. Nurmagomedov getting him to the ground. The question is, he's going to be able to stuff the takedown. What's the strategy they have for this guy on the feet? Are they going to have him open up and possibly give up that takedown? Or are they going to have him cautious and just throwing punches and just constantly wary about the takedown defense? Because Nurmagomedov, is, he has been unchallenged when it comes to the grappling. Mm -hmm. He's so goddamn strong. It's crazy. He's dominant. Well, even guys like Dos Anjos, who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, usually puts the smush on people. Right. You know, Nurmagomedov puts the smush on him. He gets the guys to break, too. Like, you see it in their face. They're like, fuck, I can't do anything against this guy. Yeah, he grew up doing it to bears, so that's mm -hmm. why. Yeah, <laughs> for real, like, legitimately. Yeah, no. yeah. My wife didn't believe that, so I had to pull it up and show her. And she's like, what are, what are they doing to him? Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> that's a baby. Why do they make that baby fight a bear? <laughs> he was like six, seven, eight years old, and a bear's just biting him in the arm. Yeah, Jimmy Rivera versus John Lineker. That's a fucking great fight, too. That's up in the right-hand corner there. Woo-wee! That's, that's a good fight. That's a real good fight. Jimmy Rivera has looked insanely good at 135, especially that victory over Uriah Faber. I was super impressed with that. I was like, wow, like this guy is for real. I knew it was for real before, but Rivera was supposed to be fighting Dominic Cruz, but Dominic Cruz broke his arm in training. And so now he's fighting John Lineker, who's a scary fucking guy at 135. Yeah, I like this a lot for Jimmy because you can just hear every every interview he does, he's, he's just hungry. Mm -hmm. Hungry for the chance to be world champ. Yeah. So uh, it's exciting to see this fight happening. I like it too. And there's interesting, um, TJ Dillashaw just shut John Lineker down. Mm -hmm. I mean, completely shut down his offense. And it almost was that like was having beautiful. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, it was a perfect example of how you play the matador, mm. like a, a like a technical matador. I mean, that was like one of his finest performances because Lineker is fucking terrifying. Like everybody's in a war with Lineker, you know, like uh, Ian McCall, like everybody who fights Lineker winds up being his goddamn war friend. Uh, so many, so many guys they get in there with him and they get hit by him. And you just see it on their face, like Jesus Christ. He's one of the few guys that actually earned that nickname. Yeah, hands of stone. Yeah, <laughs> Francisco Rivera. Like yeah. so many guys, he's fought. He cracks them, and you just see the look in their eyes, like, oh Christ. Um, so he beat who did? He, oh, okay. He beat Marlon Vera, which is uh, a very good fight. The T.J. Dillashaw loss, I think, was the most telling because T.J. Dillashaw figured out a way how to solve that puzzle mm -hmm. when John Dodson couldn't, which was really interesting. John Dodson lost to Lineker when Dodson was thought to be one of the best guys in the division at 135, and he lost to him with a split decision. You know, he fucked up Michael McDonald in the fight before that, and he's just, he's just something special, man. You know, he really is. He's, um, he's a, a tank of a guy. But I really honestly believe that uh, Jimmy Rivera is world-class, and I think this is a, a good opportunity for him to fight against uh, a big, scary tank of a guy in John Lineker and, uh, and show his, 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 his talent and his ability. I think it's a real test. I'm really interested to see, really interested to see how this works out. 
because Rivera's not like a, an elusive TJ Dillashaw type guy. He's an attacker. So how is he going to, you know, what is he going to do with Lineker? Is he going to chop the legs? He's going to attack from below like he did with Uriah? Like he fucked Uriah's leg up real early in that fight mm. to the point where it uh, really limited Uriah's mobility. That's, a, that's an interesting fight. I like that fight a lot. Carlos Condit returns. Yeah, against Magny. Dun, dun, dun. That's interesting, too. Carlos has been out for quite a long time. I want to say two years. Yeah. Click on his thing. Let's find out when his last fight was. I want to say it was about two years ago. And didn't he? He lost to Damian Maya. And say that he was talking about retirement or he was retiring then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. August 2016. So not quite that long ago. Mm -hmm. And then. Um, before that, he lost the Robbie Lawler fight, which was a crazy five-round war, and he lost a split decision. Beat Tiago and lost to Ty Tyron, so, I mean, those... <laughs> the victory over Tiago was phenomenal. That's, that's, he caught him with that elbow. Yeah, that's yeah. murderer's row of his last opponents, man. Yeah, and the, Ty the Tyron Woodley loss was by injury. It says K KO, TKO, but the reality is Tyron hit him with a brutal leg kick, and his, uh, his knee blew out. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, with switches, you know, I mean, apparently he had heard it before, but the power that Tyron Woodley has in his fucking leg kicks, like, oh, Christ. Tyron Woodley had some choice words about Kobe Covington, too. You know, he was, uh, you know, talking about Kobe, like, campaigning hard to get the fight and talking all kinds of crazy shit about him. But Tyron was saying, like, this, first of all, everything he's saying about our training sessions is 100% bullshit. Mm. And he's like, when I get that dude in the octagon, if he ever does get that shot, he goes, I am going to fuck him up. <laughs> And I see, he was Colby Covington is never going to fight again after he faces me. That's what he wow. said. Yeah, he was. We were talking um, before the weigh-ins. We were uh, standing around the octagon before the weigh-ins this uh, past UFC in Detroit, and he was, he was like shaking his head. He's like, I am going to fuck that dude up. He's like, he does not understand. He's not on my level. He's talking all kinds of shit. He's you know writing all these checks that there's no way his fucking talent can cash and when i get him in there i'm gonna smash him and he goes i'm gonna take my time on him i'm gonna try to hurt him he this is what he said to me that was crazy he goes i have never tried to hit anyone with all my power in the octagon and i'm like wait what why not <laughs> how is that how's that possible he sends people flying across the octagon. watch his fight with jay heron oh go, yeah wait a minute. you can fight oh, you geez. can hit somebody harder than that are you sure? Because that doesn't seem normal. That doesn't seem right. Talking about his leg kicks, I was just going to ask you, what did you think of being there uh, for the, the Gaethje-Alvarez fight? Jesus, that was great. Gosh. It was amazing. There was two fights that night that, made, that, was, that were humbling. Um, that was one of them. That fight was humbling. Like the fucking guts and glory, watching those guys go at it. But Yancey Medeiros and Cowboy Oliveira might have been even crazier. I think that was the craziest fight of the night. And I believe that one performance of the night. Thank the baby Jesus. Because if it didn't, there was some criminal shenanigans afoot. It was the craziest fight ever. They, one would get rocked, and then the other would get rocked. And you'd think the fight was over, and then the other one would come back and rock the other one. And then finally Yancey won in the third round. I mean, it was just a fucking chaotic war. Hmm. It was such a good fight. Just such a good fight. Two I, bonuses. Two fight of the night awards. That's nice. See, that's what I love about the UFC. When, when people really perform and lay it on the line like that. But... Did Aldo, did Haldo, uh, Aldo and Holloway win any sort of a fight of the night? I know Francis didn't, but they said they were going to Yeah, they were going to hook really him up with some sort of a bonus. Yeah. How do you not give that guy KO of the <laughs> night? What, what are we doing here? What is it? 
What's that? It doesn't say. It just says that those two got fight of the night. It doesn't say anything about anything else. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, so it says that fight get fight of the night? No, 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 no. The J- Gaethje. Gaethje and Cowboy Oliveira, Yancey Medeiros got fight of the night? Well, Max Holloway's performance was nothing short of masterful. Nothing short of masterful. The way he handled Aldo, the way he, he, he yelled at me after the first round. He gets done with the, the round, and he runs, he's going back to his, and he looks at me and goes, The man is tired. tired! The man is tired! He's a motherfucker. Dude, Max Holloway is a real fucking warrior. I yeah. mean, to the core. That guy relishes it. He loves it. When he was like, like chicken necking at Aldo, mm-hmm. he's got his hands down. He's talking shit to him and stalking him. You could see it in Aldo's face, like he was drowning. Mm-hmm. You could see the waves were coming, and he knew he wasn't going to be able to dog paddle for too long. Like he's like Jesus Christ. Like how am I going to keep up with this guy? And the thing about Max Holloway that's so interesting is he's he, in a lot of ways he has that sort of Nick Diaz approach, where he's not hitting you with all of his might. Mm. He's not throwing these haymakers unless he's got you hurt. Until he's got you hurt. Once he's got you hurt, then he's just fucking whipping bombs your way. But until then, he's just constantly on you, just constantly peppering you, constantly on your kick, knee, punch, move forward, move forward. And you're just dealing with him and trying to breathe. You don't get any breath. And he just keeps that pressure on you. And he knew Aldo was fading right now. And I'll tell you, Aldo looked good in that first round. Yeah, I thought he was going to start picking it up like almost the Aldo of old with the leg kicks. He should have. Just leg kick, leg kick, leg kick. He should have. He should have gone. His strategy should have been almost entirely leg kick centered. Right. And he was trying to catch him. And he caught him with a couple of good punches. But all of his punches are sprints, right? And if he doesn't knock you out with those sprints, like he only has so many of those in the gas tank. You're fighting the guy that can do it for a marathon. And And he can. And Max Holloway can. He is so well conditioned and so aware of his ability and not stretching himself. So when they got to the third, he started slugging it out with Aldo at the very beginning of the third. He's like, I know this guy's tired. He goes, I'm going to make him sprint with me. Mm-hmm. And you could see, like, as the, the beginning of the third round played out, Aldo was swinging wild at him. And I was watching this. I was, uh, I was like, this is not conservative like he's not conserving his energy at all what he's doing is trying to take max holloway out with one shot Mm. and he's blowing out his entire wad doing this and then you saw holloway just coming out coming on coming on just bang 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 pop 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 and aldo's trying to move his head and he's using all his head movement but he never gets a break yeah it's an incredible pace that holloway has incredible he doesn't give you any space you don't get any rest Mm. you don't get he does there's no laying back with holloway max holloway's on you on you on you i love what he said about fighting aldo in rio too he goes that's what kings do (laughs) he goes they go to the other person's village and they take their crown i was like ooh. That's right. That's what they do. That's what he did. He's the baddest motherfucker. I think he's the best 145er ever. I mean, he might not agree with it yet because of the record, which I see I see his point, but the way he fights, the the octagon IQ that he shows, his his fight IQ, his ability to find a weakness and to see it, his predatory behavior inside the octagon, I think he's the best. I really do. I just think I, I it's so impressive to me that he's not like Aldo in his prime was spectacular and amazingly impressive. Like his flying knee first round knockout of Cub oh, yeah. Swanson, the knockout of Chad Mendez. You know, I mean, he's he's uh, the the Uriah Faber fight where he brutalized Uriah's leg. I mean, he's unquestionably one of the greats of all time. But in my opinion, 
skill-wise, Max Holloway has now surpassed him. I think mm-hmm. he's the best. Yeah. What are your takes, who, or who do you have for the Bellator heavyweight tournament? I'm fucking very curious about that. First of all, I thought it was really interesting they decided to go with Mitrione versus Roy Nelson right a out rematch. of the gate. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because, first of all, Mitrione just knocked out Fedor, mm-hmm. right? Wouldn't you like want to see that again? Like, doesn't does Fedor want to see that again? Because Mitrion's fighting Frank Mir. I do not know what kind of testing that Bellator is employing, but I hope it's Wild West style testing. <laughs> I hope they pee in a cup, hold it up to the light, and if nothing's swimming in it, they go, "You're good." <laughs> Let them well, roll. Yeah, I'm kind of campaigning right now to be the alternate. So I would love, love, love to be the alternate in the tournament. What is your ranking in the Bellator uh, heavyweight division right now? Do they have one? I'm not sure that they really have an official one. So, um, but I'm. You know, I think if if I'm not in there for this as the alternate, I think that I'll be one of the first title defenses. That's what I'll, I'll be hoping for. And um, I'll stay active. I'm going to fight. Hopefully I'll pick it up to two, two three fights a year. Um, and, and King then, Mo is in the heavyweight tournament with yeah. Ryan Bader, yeah, that's, who's the that's light heavyweight champion. That's going to happen in May. It's Chell versus Rampage yeah. in January. Uh, then it's the the Roy Nelson and Matt Mitrione in February, and then they have the Fedor versus Frank Mir um, in April. So they're going to take a break in March. The only thing I don't like about this is it locks everybody up for a yeah. long ass time. Like I would like it if that was all on like two shows, yeah, or maybe even one crazy card. You know, have all the fights on one card. Yeah, I think Mir has to wait till April. So why is that for his contract? Uh, I think it's the testing that he had in the UFC, and then uh, don't he, test him, Bellator. He, don't do it. He, <laughs> <laughs> and so I think he's suspended until April, and then oh, he can okay. and then he can fight. Um, and so, but that that fight, I think uh, probably a lot of fans ten years ago, but but now too are going to be really excited to see Mir versus Fedor. You know, two kind of legendary champions Um, and then uh, I don't know why the Bader one and King Mo ones all the way back in May but I think Mo's had some pretty significant injuries that he's had to deal with okay and and Bader just fought recently so maybe Mm -hmm. he needed some time too yeah Um, but yeah maybe it's the injuries with Mo and but man I'm excited so I'm I'm just training and ready to jump in I'm uh I'm actually getting to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro maybe oh well actually I'm, I'm I'm deciding on it this next week um, to see if I can cement the alternate position or not. To me, the big one is Rory McDonald, Douglas Lima. Mm. That's the big one. Yeah. That's the big January. one. January. That's the big one. That's going to be big. That's the one I'm like, okay. Because I feel like when it comes to the welterweight division, Bellator has two guys in Lima and in... The, see, the Lima thing, the only thing that stands out in the Lima thing is Ben Askren. It was Ben Askren, and it was a long time ago. No doubt right. about it. But Ben Askren just had his way with Lima hmm. and had his way with Koroshkov, had his way with all these guys. That, to me, and Ben's coming on the podcast next month. We got him scheduled. Awesome. Uh, before or after, I forget which one, the uh, event out here, the uh, Bellator event. But I feel like that is, I mean, now that he's retired, that is my biggest regret that he didn't get in MMA, that he didn't get into the UFC. UFC. Yeah. My biggest regret. Yeah, I wish they could have worked that out, whatever it was. Fuck. I wanted to see what would happen. Yeah. You want to see what happens with him and Tyron Woodley. You want to see what happens with him and world-class wrestlers who are also knockout artists. You want to see what happens with him and the elite of the elite at 170 in the octagon. And for whatever reason, and I'm sure he'll tell us, and 
I'm sure he'll be very very outspoken. Yeah. I wonder if it's the the whole style thing. I mean, like the I hardcore fans. Bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. hardcore fans love it. Um, but then it's almost like, I, I won't use his name, but I know a fighter that uh, fought in the upper weight classes in the UFC, you know, nine or ten wins and only two losses and gets cut. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, you got to be Who's in Who's that? Um, Jared Rochelle. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, great guy. Uh, awesome training partner. Great fighter. Um, and he had I some fun had, fights. Why did he get cut? It was after just uh, he had an early loss in the UFC, and then he w- went on a tear, mm-hmm. and then he had another loss, and they cut him. One loss. Yeah. That seems crazy. So I think he had like eight, eight nine, or ten wins and only two losses there. Um, huh. And then so it was after one loss, and he was gone. So I believe it was because of the, the style. The style. Um, but he's a yeah, great guy. Yeah, man. That style's legitimate, though. The problem is you can't decide that you need things to be exciting. You need things, your, your sport is things being effective. Mm. The whole idea is, like, here you go. You got a guy like Francis Ngannou who can knock anybody's head into another dimension, right? Well, what happens if Francis Ngannou gets smothered by some Rulon Gardner type character? Yeah, Rochelle. Yeah, some giant dude who grabs a hold of him, drags him to the ground, and fucking hammer fists him for three, five rounds. You yeah. know, like, you don't you want to see that? I want to see I that. Yeah. I want to know that this kind of guy can be can be immobilized, right. that he can be neutralized. And we've seen Ben Askren do that. Yeah. To really, like, Korshkov and Lima, Lima. two fucking straight-up assassins, right? right? We've seen him do that. So um, I wanted to see him try to fight like some of the elite of the elite because I think that style is critical. The, the wrestling style is the hardest style to deal with if you can't compete with the wrestler. That's why I've always said if you had like a pyramid of all the techniques in martial arts, like what would be the most important? I think wrestling because yeah. the ability to dictate where the fight takes place. And by wrestling, I include takedown defense, which is obviously a yeah. wrestling skill. But wrestling, the ability to dictate where the fight takes place is fucking critical. And if you could take the guy down, that the, having the ability to take a guy down is giant. You're on top of him. You're smothering him. He's got to carry your weight. It's exhausting. You're beating him up while he's down there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a giant factor. You know, all's, obviously every fight starts standing up. And But when a good striker is fighting a good wrestler, they're fucking always worry to let anything go right as soon as they tee off on something woo, the doubles on them and then they're on their ass so i think that a guy who has been proven to be one of the most difficult wrestlers to deal with to not have him fight in the octagon is a tragedy hmm. it's a fucking real bummer man yeah it is and i wonder how many wrestlers out there are looking at ingano <laughs> and going i wonder Wonder what would happen if you take that guy down. Yeah, no, that, I mean, even me being in the same weight class. I mean, that's that's my my wife was asking who who would you be um, more terrified to fight before the fight? You mm-hmm. know, with how Alistair, much do you weigh? How much do you weigh? Two sixty two. We can get you down two hundred five. <laughs> get you going keto. Yeah, but when Overeem and him were were facing <laughs> off, she's like, which one would you prefer to fight? And I was like, I think Nagano. I think Francis. Really? Yeah, I Why? think so. Well, this was before he, <laughs> he sent uh, Alistair into orbit, but uh, I, I because you take him down. 
right. take him down, and then uh, and then it's your game, uh, hopefully. And he's so apparently with, with Alistair, so, he's so seasoned and everything else, um, right. and he does have some takedown defense, and he does have some submissions. So I've just seen him be more well rounded, mm-hmm. and uh, so but that was before, right? <laughs> obviously outcome. before, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I would have talked to you before that, and I would said no, <laughs> no, because I'm, my thought before the fight when I talked to Shab, Shab and I were talking on the phone. He said, "What do you think is going to happen?" I think I think he's I think Alistair doesn't make it out of the first round. I think we we went over all the times Alistair's been stopped. Uh, that's a big factor. It was a big factor. Yeah, is it more than ten times? Yes, more than ten times in MMA. I think it was what was it like twelve times in 13. MMA, thirteen times in MMA, and then three or four times in kickboxing as well. What's that analogy? Is there any truth to it? It's almost like a, a peanut butter jar or something. The first time you open it, you got to get out a towel and put over it and try mm. it really hard to, to to open that lid. And then after that, it's a little easier, and then it's a little easier until eventually you do it enough and you can just spin it off, just flip it you know yeah well and he's so, in the flick it stage yeah but it doesn't matter that punch would have knocked him out when he was 20. oh yeah that would have knocked anyone out yeah I mean, that, human being. that uh, punch was insane Mark Contour, roy nelson either either of those guys and so. the way he threw it it was like a leg like from the thigh and then whipping that arm with the whole body behind it just full torque mm-hmm. i mean it had everything it had all the power I was a little skeptical of the, uh, well, it was probably from listening to Brendan, but talk about the punching power. Uh, you know, well, who else? Has Mark Hunt hit it and has Crow Cop kicked it and everything else? And then all of a sudden, once you see that punch, you're like, uh, he, he's, he's, he's sealed the deal. Dude, I've, I've sh- the deal. shook homeboy's hand and it's like holding hands with a, a oh fucking cinder block. Let's see that again. Boom. See how he like comes up from the thigh and the arm whips up? Look at this. Wham! Oh, man. Oh my goodness! And he's and as, he, as he's punching, he's moving in position to punch a second time. Then he hammer fists him while he's out. Boom! Thank goodness he got in there. The yeah, he, he certainly. I mean, the referee got in as quick as he could, but he certainly could have not hit him <laughs> while he was down. He was out cold. What are you gonna say? Who got knocked out with a bunch of the elbows? Didn't there like seven, eight extra elbows at the end before the ref stepped in? In this past weekend? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking I'm about? Say Gary Goodridge. They weren't like <laughs> extra, know. extra elbows, I mean, but like it was like, ah, man, you probably should have stopped that early. Pull up the card. I'm trying to remember. Sorry. Try to figure out who it was. The Paul, Fe- Paul Felder. Yes, yeah, Felder yeah. beat yeah. the shit out of him. Yeah, um, that was an interesting fight because what what played out is exactly what I thought. It was like Oliveira is really dangerous with his grappling. His grappling is phenomenal. He has submitted, I think he's tied with Hoist Gracie for submitting the most guys in the UFC, which is, how badass is Hoist Gracie? All these years <laughs> All later, these years he has still the got the record. That's awesome. You know, pretty goddamn significant. Yeah. But um, he smashed wow. him with that one shot, and then he's he tapped. He's got such great elbows, man. Yeah, he tapped. That's right. That's what happened. No one saw the tap. Yeah. And Felder just smashed him. Well, Felder's an enormous 55. Felder walks around somewhere in the 185-pound range and then diets down to 55. Yeah, he tapped, but the referee didn't see it. two, three. And, you know, he can't let him up. Five. Oof. Yeah. Six. Yikes. Should have tapped a little harder than that. Yeah, you got to let. Don't. I mean, that's like a humble tap. Like, yeah. yeah, You got it. You got to tap. Like, okay, we're done here. Yeah, you can't yeah, tap. Paul, Paul like, didn't even realize he tapped. You, you know? can't be reluctant. You can't right. have a reluctant tap. 
It's got to be like, but guys don't want to tap. You know, like, I'm kind of tapping. Mm-hmm. You know, you've seen it's fights like Joanna, right? Guys said they tapped, tap. but they didn't. Yeah, yeah. the Joanna thing, she still says she didn't tap. Yeah. But she definitely did. Mm-hmm. She probably doesn't realize she tapped because she was in dreamland. You know, I mean, she got hit so hard and got dropped. But guys have tapped, said they didn't tap. Remember Marilla Bustamante and mm-hmm. Matt Lindland? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> they restarted the fight. Matt Lindland got caught in an arm bar, clearly tapped. Yep. And uh, Big John McCarthy um, separated them, was declaring Bustamante the winner. Lindland said, I didn't tap. I was moving around. I was moving around. I wasn't tapped. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then Bustamante, you can tell he's like, what in the fuck? Are you serious? And then they make him go back at it again. And then he catches him in a guillotine the next round. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I started in 2005 or six fighting and I remember a lot of wrestlers talking about wrestler tricks as if someone, if you go for the double leg and you start getting a takedown, you know, tap. Here it is. Watch. That's, well, I don't know. Hold on. Let me watch that again. Let me watch that again. Play it right there. Yeah, that looks like he's tapping. But then he says he's not. Hmm. It seems like he wanted to tap, but he didn't. Hmm, let me see it again. I'm less convinced now. Watch this again. Here it is. He's got the arm. Turns him over. Yeah, that's a tap. Yeah. That's a fucking tap. Yeah. And then he said he didn't. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I, know, the, I know a lot of wrestlers would talk about if you know you get yeah. in the guillotine, try to see where the ref is, and then well, you can tap on the other side. Do you remember Chael did that? Oh yeah, Chael did that with Paulo Filio yeah. in uh, WEC. Yeah, that's right. And then they fought again the second time they Two fought. Quest guys. Filio didn't make weight, and uh, now he, he catches him with the guillotine. This is it right here, old school Carlson Gracie style, son. Yeah, I mean, Bustamante was a wizard back then. A lot of people forgot how good he was. At the top of his game, man, he was one of the fuck. That's a tap man. right there. He was one of the fucking best. Such a good jiu-jitsu guy and really good boxing, too. But uh, Paul Filo went crazy. Remember, he was, he was kind of like the second time they fought, he missed weight. So Sonnen should rightly, by all accounts, really be... The, he should have been the WEC 185-pound champion, but he never he never got that yeah. title because Philo didn't make the weight, and then they had some real weird fight where, like, Philo was saying, just do my, my friend, come to the ground with me. He's like, can't do that, sorry. <laughs> and he said he was talking to him. Like, you know, remember when he, Paul had, like, a kind of a, a bit of a breakdown, right? Yeah. Got a yeah. Mike Tyson tattoo mm-hmm. on his face and mm-hmm. was acting real weird. disappeared. Yeah, man, he was a beast. He He was was. a monster. At one point in time, yeah, he was uh, submitting everybody. He was so good, and he submitted a bunch of people, at least one or two people, in Pride, I believe. Um, But yeah, he was uh, another guy. He was a Carlson Gracie guy as well, right? I believe so. Yeah, world class jujitsu guy who's just a little pit bull of a man. Yeah, yeah, like the pre Paul Paul Harris. What do you think about what what Ryzen is doing now? You know, Ryzen is trying to kind of bring back the Pride days. I miss the Pride Days. Me so, too. <laughs> I miss right? them, yeah, a lot. So I support it. Yeah. Um, I hope they do it well. They're and doing a lot of freak shows too. Like they had, was in Ryzen, Gabby Garcia versus some maid. The, the old lady. Yeah. The grandma. Well, she's had a couple. Yeah, there's, there's over one. There. She literally fought a grandma. Like yeah. not, not just joking around. Like she was a grandmother. 
And so, a grandma with a bad knee, remember? Yeah. Grandma and she had didn't a knee want to be in there. On. You no. could see, like, once it started, it was like, they, they put her up to that. Why do you she think didn't they want to be in there. Why, they, why would they put her up to I that? I have no clue. Maybe they just can't find anyone to fight Gabby. I'm sure they can't. Yeah, but uh, yeah. it's almost like uh, I'd rather not see that fight happen, though. For people grandma. who don't know, Gabby Garcia is probably 225 pounds and jacked. Yeah. I she mean, would be my training partner. Yes. Like, <laughs> like legitimately. legitimately. Yeah. yeah. I'm and 6'3, 262. She'd be my training partner. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. She'd yeah. be, I think she's taller than you. Oh, she probably is. She's a gorilla. <laughs> so big. So uh, finding a female competitor to compete with her, good luck. Yeah. Well, whenever they were always talking about the Rousey could beat um, guys in her division and different stuff like that, you would almost think they have to have no other options to where Gabby's going to have to fight a guy someday. I know, uh, right? Maybe like a 185 or something like right. that. But, but, but yeah. Yeah, look at the size of her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's so insane. And this is her versus a little girl in kickboxing. This is a kickboxing fight. Oh, my God. She's so, oh, I see, oh, it's I see, MMA. It's MMA. What are those gloves? Maybe uh, the... Smaller one didn't want to fight her in MMA gloves because they take too much of a beating. They do look like boxing gloves, don't they? Yeah. I think this is a kickboxing fight. I think that's why they stopped the fight after that takedown oh, attempt. Okay. Right? Because they got back up to their feet. This yeah. is a kickboxing fight. Maybe it's an fight. MMA fighter, though, doing it. Ooh. Yeah. She's getting battered. She's getting hit by tree trunks. It's so crazy. When she fought grandma, that was a. Uh, it was like. Yeah. I was sad for the woman that had to be. had to go out there. This is in Brazil versus Megumi Yabushita, Japan, brutal knockout, illegal soccer kick. Okay, I don't want to watch this. Here oh, it is. Oof. Oh, Jesus Christ. Illegal soccer kick. That's a, that's a good night. Yeah, when you're 100 pounds bigger than someone, please don't soccer kick them when they're down illegally. That yeah. just seems like logical. adding insult <laughs> to injury. So what else is coming up next that you're, you're excited about? Is um, Paul Daly fighting Semtex? Um, I mean, Semtex fighting um, uh, Michael Venom Page. That they want to. I know that Semtex is going after that, going after yeah. that, going after that. But I don't think it's finalized. Is Michael Page into the fight? Does he want to have that fight? I, I think he's a little more on the fence about it. Really? I, I think Daly is like campaigning for it. at least the last I heard. I love shit talking with a British accent. Yeah, it's one of my it favorite makes it things. Yeah, it, it, anything with a British accent, especially from Daly. You know, like you, you look at him, this muscular animal. He's such a fucking psycho. Dude. And then, and just, what a fucking left hand that guy's got. Gosh, when he stopped Lorenz Larkin, I was like, whoa, that's yeah. that's for real. Yeah, that'll just, be that'll be really exciting to see yeah. if it happens. Yeah, he's even Venom Page with that flying knee. Mm -hmm. um, Oh, with the, the cyborg one? The face, yeah. Jesus I Christ. Mean, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Yeah. I think it's the right fight to do, so hopefully yeah. Page is... And I don't think he's... I don't know. I, maybe it's other other details they need to work out to make it happen, but um, it seems like Daly's the one that's been campaigning for it, and hmm. Michael Venom Page hasn't yet, so... Yeah, because after Rory McDonald beat Daly, Daly was immediately saying he wanted to fight Page. Right. It wasn't like saying, like, I didn't really want to fight Rory, uh, fuck this fight. He's, like, immediately going after that. He wouldn't, didn't want to rematch with Rory. He was just Michael Venom Page and him have some serious bad blood. Yeah. Makes man. Exciting. <laughs> really exciting, man. Yeah. I don't know. Here we go. After boxing debut win, who's Paul Daly? Oh, yeah, Daly? that's, that's right. Doing. He had a boxing match. Who's Paul Daly? That's funny. Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably one of the most brilliant lines. Now everyone else can copy. That's amazing. Yeah. The timing. The timing of that when Jeremy Stevens yelled that out. Um, yeah, Venom Page looked amazing in his boxing match. Mm. It's like you're hearing all this shit now about Connor possibly fighting Paulie Malinaji. 
MMA and then Pacquiao, fight? right? Huh? In an MMA fight? Or no, boxing? Okay. boxing match in a cage. That was the the latest. Like a boxing match in the octagon. Listen, the WMME, WME crew, the people who own the UFC now, they're, I think they're willing to put on whatever fight's going to bring in the most shekels. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they got to do now. And But now they got a star. I think in Ganu, one or two more fights, you're going to be looking at Mike Tyson days. That's what I think. I think Ngannou is going to be like, you're going to watch fights just to see how long these motherfuckers can survive against that guy. That's what I think. And I think that could be their big breakout star. Connor, who knows if he's ever going to fight again? I mean, we really don't know. We haven't heard Connor saying, you know, this is my plan. This is who I'm thinking about fighting. This is who I want to fight. He's been talking shit to Max Holloway. Mm. He's been talking shit to Tony Ferguson. But he's not said, like, set it up. So, Did you know what Francis was really talking about whenever he was talking about the, the slaves? Yes. That was happening? Yes. Man, that's so nuts. Yeah, we played that on the podcast. We showed a lot of that stuff that's going on in Libya. They had open slave auctions, and people filmed it and put it on YouTube in 2017. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know multiple people from Uganda, Rwanda, and Congo that were, um, they were lured into some of these countries uh, like there and they would go there thinking that they were going to have a job opportunity um, and that they would be working at this place or that place or whatever and you you start here and you work your way up and but automatically you're going to be making more than you've ever made in a year every week Um, and so they go there thinking that they're going to be able to have a new job send back a bunch of money to their family then all of a sudden they get there they take all their documents away from them to where they can't travel they can't escape if they do they don't speak the language Um, and then they throw them into a, someone's house and they're literally their slave um, and they were lured there now all of a sudden you're a slave um, and how so long are they keeping them there for they'll keep them there forever but then uh, the, some of these families that are able to some of these people that are able to make contact with their families they have to fundraise and come up with thousands and thousands of dollars I'm talking like an African family that might make a dollar to a dollar twenty-five per day is now having to come up with three, four, five thousand, ten thousand uh, dollars to try to buy them back. back. To try to buy them back out of it. So, um, did you know there's more slavery today than any other time in ever recorded in history? human history? Yeah. So yeah. the lowest statistic is twenty-seven million, but I think it's over thirty million. Just stop and think about it. Most people in America, if you you talk to them about slavery, they're like, oh, well, yeah, that ended in 1865. Nope. Nope. Not only did it not end, there's more today than ever. Mm. But until we saw the Libya, the, the YouTube video where you see the one guy saying he's a good, he can lift heavy things, he's a good digger, and you're like, what? Yeah. And they were selling him for like 400 bucks, 600 bucks. Yeah, so the Mabuti Pygmies, actually. So this is what the documentary is really covering. I cover a little bit of it in the book, but we've actually seen 1,500 people, and that's what at the Comedy Store tonight we'll play the short trailer for it, and it's going to talk about the slavery that's in there. Uh, There's 400 to 600,000 Mabuti Pygmies in the Congo, and basically all of them are enslaved currently right now. And so we've actually seen peaceful negotiations of 1,500 people transition out of a life of slavery and into a life of freedom. And we're hoping that we can replicate that. And so how we're able to do it is we're able to work with the local, state, and national government uh, on documents. And then also we're able to buy back the land from the slave master so they benefit financially by having maybe more money than they've ever made from their slaves. Um, And then uh, 
there we get water for both sides. So the slave masters, it's it's a different context for slavery. There's a lot of places like Libya or different um, countries that they're really rich and they have a bunch of slaves. But in this context, it's a, a family owns a family in most cases. Some, some own many families, uh, but it, they're, I've attended the funerals of the slave master's kids. Um, the slave master, the slave master's kids are dying of dirty water because they have zero access to it. Wow. And so, whenever you can bring in, because they're making a dollar, dollar twenty-five a day on the film, there's going to be a beautiful part on the documentary. I don't want to ruin that part or silly of the thunder, but it's um, man. There's a slave master crying on camera with us, crying um, because of how much of a benefit it's been. The peace that's come from not having the slaves that he inherited from his father, who inherited them from his grandfather, uh, because it became a burden where they're making a dollar, dollar 25 a day. They're spending on average, the average uh, person in Congress being $185 a year on treatment against waterborne disease. So on medicine and all this stuff, they're spending half of their salary on waterborne disease. They're losing their kids because of it. And now they're making a dollar, dollar 25 a day trying to take care of their own family. How are they supposed to take care of their slave family? And so they can give them just the scraps. And so whenever we get to come in there and say, hey, this land is rightfully the Mabuti Pygmies. They're the first citizens of, of Congo. They're, they're the first people here. They're the native Congolese. Um, they Don't you think they deserve some land? And so we kind of cast a vision, work together with them. It's all inclusive to where they get to share their concerns and questions and and they get to be part of it and say we want this here and so then all of a sudden once that happens we do the land purchases it's all legal and then um and then we bring in water for both sides to where they both have clean water access to that which changes everything whenever the slave master's wife is on average going 3.75 miles to go collect water she can't do other things you imagine that you're you own slaves and you have to walk three miles to get water to go get water and or or you you're a slave master and if you are fortunate enough that you the, your wife doesn't have to go collect water all day one of your kids can't go to school because they have to go collect water all day and so in when those jerry cans are full 44 or sorry 20 liters 20 liters is 44 pounds when full and a lot of times they do it with two because if you're, going to, if you're not going to carry it on your head and if you're going to make the most of your time, that 3.75 mile walk, you're going to go with two jerry cans on that walk and then it'll balance you out almost like kettlebells. Yeah. Um, and so you get two 44 pound, almost kettlebells, but jerry cans of water that's moving that's so hard to carry and you walk that back. A hundred pounds. You're basically yeah, walking pounds. back with a hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah, 88 pounds. And you're, so to be able to alleviate. You're a tiny person. You're not yeah. a big person. Yeah, anyway. some of them are, are, are girls that are, you know, teenagers and stuff. Um, and Imagine trying to get an American teenager to carry 88 pounds. Uh, man, uh, I mean, <laughs> it, hurt, it hurts me going yeah. on it. Like literally I go on those. All, our team normally does the water walk in every new village that we go to. So probably 70 water walks now. There might be one or two that we didn't do. Um but the first 13 we did when I was there and uh, man, it's to, to understand, to put yourself literally in their shoes and go on that long walk and to have the sore neck from mm -hmm. carrying it on your head or to have just your shoulders dying because you're walking back with 88 pounds. You're not doing, I mean, think about whenever we're doing those kettlebell walks. I, know, I right? mean, how many feet are we going? But go miles that way. Yeah, I put um, on one of those outdoorsman's vests. You know what those things are? Outdoorsman's pack mm. that has a weight uh, plate in the back, uh, uh, one of those posts for weight plates. And I slide on a 45-pound plate and I, and I hike the mountains with it. 
just 45 pounds. Yeah. You go like, that's not, I weigh 200 pounds. Why, why would 45 pounds be a lot? It's a fucking lot, man. It's a lot. So to think that these women mm. are carrying double that and they're walking through the jungle. Yeah. It's fucking. Oh, man. And, and uh, the, uh, it's, it's not funny, but I mean, uh, they, they cracked up because they're so used to, uh, to carrying this walk. But I'm going down this this steep hill, and it's on a little foot trail, and it's muddy because it had been raining. Um, and, I, and so I'm, I'm having this thing on my head, and I fall on my back, and the water just soaks me. Because uh, all the water that we went and collected, um, fall, no, I mean half of it, uh, ended up on me and on the ground. Did you go and back then, and get more water? No. Wow. No, because we were we were currently trying to drill the new right. well, and we were getting pretty close to it. Damn. Um, and so, but just slipping, falling while you're doing it, losing your balance. I sprained my knee one time on one of the water walks because uh, you're carrying all this weight. You step in a hole, and then all of a sudden you sprain your ankle, sprain your uh, knee, different stuff like that. And Listen, Justin Wren, you are doing the Lord's work. You're doing amazing stuff, man. And I'm so happy that we can help, and I'm happy that we can help tonight. If you were oh, thinking man. about coming to the show, you shit out of luck. <laughs> sold out. It's, it was sold out a long fucking time ago so uh tonight will be uh tom segura tony hinchcliffe whitney cummings owen smith tom papa is that everybody and me is that it that's it that's the show tonight 9 30 at the comedy store and all the proceeds will be donated to fight for the forgotten Woo-ah! Woo-ah. Hey, right. yo. <laughs> whatever you whatever he said oh yeah right. thank you brother appreciate you man thanks brother